0: The Paul Kuharski Podcast is a production of Vocal and is brought to you by Pickers Vodka, Tennessee's first craft vodka. It's music to your mouth.
1: Hey guys, and welcome to this week's podcast on paulkuharski.com. I'm Madison Blevins, Paul's co-host. We were unable to link up our schedules last week to record together, but we're back at it this week. And Paul, you're back in Nashville after a crazy Super Bowl media week, but probably not as crazy as you wanted. Are you feeling any better?
0: Yeah, I feel a lot better, but it was uh, an awful couple days there. And uh, my doctor told me it could take up to two weeks to, to get all the way back. So I confess that I am still uh, drinking Gatorade. I've, I've developed a, re, a newfound or a refound affection for old-school lemon lime Gatorade, which I've been drinking. And uh, if the Midday 180 had extended much beyond four hours, I wouldn't be making it through because I'm just tired, exhausted all the time. But people don't want to hear about that. Uh, So I will spare them any further details. Uh, But I was sad to miss pretty much two full days of everything that went on up there.
1: Well, luckily, we have a lot to get to today that the people do want to hear. The Titans coaching staff is officially established. And Paul, we'll get to your early impressions of the staff and your expectations for what Marcus Mariota will look like with this new offensive coordinator, Matt LaFleur. And we will touch on this interesting move, how Mike Rabel is splitting up the linebacker coaching. PK, I want you to give us your lessons that you think the Titans can learn from this past Super Bowl. And T.O. is finally in the Hall of Fame. We will get your thoughts on what unfolded in the Hall of Fame selection committee room. Nashville has added another professional team, and the Nashville Soccer Club is set to kick off their debut on Saturday. So it's a lot to cover, and let's just go ahead and dive right in. PK, Minneapolis as a Super Bowl host city. I think I already know what you're going to say about this, but tell the people how you felt about that host city.
0: Well, I think there are too many complaints about it, to be honest with you. I mean, everything worked fine, and that's got to be your number one thing. But it was way – look, the Mall of America is a lovely mall, but it's a mall. And uh, if if I'm a city like Minneapolis and I'm hosting the Super Bowl, I want to show off my city, not my mall. Um, So you could be a media person at this Super Bowl and really never have done any work outside of the mall until the game. I'm not there in a way that that takes me to the game, so it might as well have been in uh, you know Montana or Nebraska or or Mars. Um, if you if you dropped this mall in any of those places, it would have been the same. I didn't care about the cold. You we know, were in and out in seven or eight minutes. Uh, you know, went downtown for one nice dinner before I got sick, but I got zero. Minneapolis, Saint Paul flavor out of my experience, and I don't think that they should make it so much that you have to seek it as as much as it is that you can't avoid it. And so I can't give you a real review of uh, of Minneapolis or Saint Paul. I can give you a, a review of Bloomington, Minnesota, uh, and not a lot of people are excited about Bloomington, Minnesota, and there were a lot of nice stores there, but I, you know I didn't have a bunch of time to go shopping for shoes or clothes or the like. And so uh, in that regard, I I don't think they did a good enough job showing off uh, where it was. The radio row set up in the food court. It's fine to be in the food court, but you have to make enough space. And, uh, you know, Jerry Kramer, who was elected to the Hall of Fame, uh, is in his 80s and needs to lean on somebody. And it was hard for him to get around and have somebody to lean on there's a wounded warrior who's a double amputee who needs to use a wheelchair to get around and they should be obligated to to create enough space that somebody on a wheelchair could get around. And this guy got out of his chair and crawled around at times when it was easiest for easier for him to get around that way. I think that's a major oversight by the league and that they should be ashamed of something like that. And that's not me complaining about cramped work conditions. That's me complaining about seeing something that, that, uh, you know, seem reprehensible. And quite frankly, I I should have acted on it and helped the guy out and and made more noise about it during the fact instead of after the fact.
1: So, and I know last year when I went with you guys um, to Radio Row in Houston, it was kind of all spread out. It was a really good setup, but it was divided by markets. How was that all crammed together in that small food court? Or were the other larger markets in a different area? Or was everyone in the food court area.
0: Uh, Everyone was in the food court area, except some of the big, big places that are set off were, you know, on the other side of the food court or the cutout that where you could look down to the lower levels or on a different floor altogether. Uh, It wasn't, it wasn't market divided. And, you know, Chad Withrow on the midday one hundred and eighty this week, granted about this, there's such a fundamental misunderstanding about market size. You know, some of those guys come down there uh, handlers that bring a a good guest around radio row. And, uh, and they head right to the straight markets. Well, you know, a station in Houston that's getting a two is not better than a station in Nashville. That's getting a 12 or a 14. Um, and nobody does their homework really and looks into the ratings. You know, Chad was saying if Alvin Kamara is there and doing 12 visits, it doesn't make much sense for, uh, rookie of the year from New Orleans who played at the University of Tennessee, not to be doing the flagship of the Vols network in Nashville, considering the interest level in him there. But uh, people, people who handle people like Kamara on, uh, on radio Row don't, don't think that way. And, you know, that's a a battle we have to fight and people maybe aren't that concerned with it, but they do seem to like the process stories and, and the process of how these people, uh, take these guys around on Radio Row it isn't the most thought out thing. Uh, and we work well ahead of time to make good connections with a lot of good people. But it's always disappointing, too, where you see other big people that you didn't know were going to be there who didn't think ahead, uh, you know, to plan. Um, and we're always in a spot like you know, Marcus Mariota was good enough to come on with us and, and his handler made time for us. But, you know, I, I think his handler should be booking him with us. Right after the, the national shows that they're looking to get him on.
1: Well, is that your only beef that you had within this Super Bowl 52? Or would it be safe to say you probably have more beef? Well, I,
0: ha- I have more, but I'll give you one that drives me crazy. The NFL is a, a billion dollar business and the Super Bowl was you know, uh, the biggest sporting event in America. And all over this mall and hotel lobbies and every event that they have during the course of the week, they've got these volunteers suckered into doing work with them, uh, you know, largely older people who, who want to be involved in, in their city hosting a big event like this. And they're certainly polite and as helpful as they can be and everything, but that the league doesn't pay them 10 bucks an hour for their time, which in total would be a real drop in the bucket uh, is a crime. But it's amazing how America works, you know, that people uh, that the NFL, even with the with the dip it's going through right now, people people would almost pay to to be attached to the event in some way instead of the other way around where uh, where you're doing work. Now, you're doing some volunteer charity work for me here. But, uh, it's gonna pay huge dividends when, uh, when this website takes all the way off and, and the like. And when we help you get some big (laughs) full-time job down the road and stuff, it's not quite the same thing. Um, you know, these people aren't working now in hopes of turning it into something down the road. They're connecting themselves to the big event and they're getting nothing for it. It's a pretty good scam by the NFL.
1: But those people might, like I do, enjoy helping out other people and you never know. They could just, love being around it all and excited about the whole nice. Super Bowl image.
0: Sure. But they're being taken advantage of at the same time. Both can, can be true. And they, they could have that attachment and $10 an hour very easily. And it wouldn't, wouldn't hurt the league in, in the least.
1: Well, back in Nashville, the core of Mike Vrabel's new staff was introduced. Let's dive right into that. What were your initial thoughts?
0: Well, it's always going to be an up, upbeat occasion, right? The offseason is all about hope and, uh, you know, there are no games to be played or lost. There are no uh, offensive game plans for us to, to shred apart. Um, but the Titans set it up really, really well. We had, uh, you know, 10 minutes as a group with Dean Pease, the new defensive coordinator with Matt LaFleur, the new offensive coordinator. And then uh, maybe about 20 minutes where, the offensive position coaches were out, and you could mill around and talk to each of them. And then the same with the defensive group. Uh, all seemed like like nice guys, but uh, you know, of course, the first impression in a setting like that is is going to be good. Um, I was impressed that Mike Vrabel told us he wasn't going to hire a staff full of his buddies. And uh, out of out of this group, uh, the vast majority, on, only four. Uh, knew him previously now certainly they have connections and the like Uh, you know friends of friends and and uh, people recommended or or uh, you know a couple guys connected to Matt LaFleur the offensive coordinator and things like that but he did not go out and hire his buddies the way that he said he wasn't going to go out and hire his buddies now uh, your first staff isn't your ultimate staff and it takes take some time and, and there may be a couple of guys that we met the other day who aren't around for year two or, or year three uh, because they don't fit great or because somebody he prefers, Vrabel prefers, becomes available. But uh, seems like a good group of guys, uh, an upbeat group of guys, certainly a group of guys who are uh, fully invested in the opportunity that Mike Vrabel Mike is giving them. And, uh, you know, I think in terms of the know him, don't know him, you look at Dean Pease, who was his uh, Vrabel's linebacker coach and his defensive coordinator in New England for a time. Uh, he obviously knows Mike Vrabel very well. And you look at Matt Lafleur; he doesn't know him at all. Uh, Matt Lafleur interviewed for the head coaching job here, and he said he left Nashville, you know, telling his his friends back at the LA Rams that they were stuck with him for another year, uh, with no idea that that he would be uh, doing an about face. So. Um, interesting times for sure uh with these guys it's going to be a long time i know people want a thumbs up or thumbs down immediately and stuff but it's going to be a time before we have a sense for how these guys work their players aren't even going to really meet them in a formal football sense until april 2nd um and they'll get to know them and we'll get to know them and you know i think our first you know we'll watch them work with the players at otas and get a sense we'll walk, watch them work at padded practices during training camp and get a sense. And then, you know, a month into the season, we'll, we'll have our first good sense after a four-game sampling of uh, of how these schemes are working and, and most importantly, how these position coaches, who are the major guys, you know, who spend the most time with players, how, how they're coming across and what players think about them. So uh, it's a hurry up. As so many things in the league are, it's a hurry up and wait situation.
1: Well, two of the new coaches that Vrabel announced have titles we haven't seen for Titans assistant coaches before. He announced Shane Bowen was going to be the outside linebacker coach, and then Tyrone McKenzie was going to be the inside linebacker coach. Is this a common theme that you see around the league splitting up the linebacker coaches?
0: I don't know how much it goes on around the league. I I should go through and see what the new staffs have. I do know some teams do it. The Titans have never done it. Um, They've never done it before. Um, but, but I like it as a degree of specialization, Um Bowen coaching the outside linebackers, uh, you know, those are primarily pass rushers in this three, four, which will sometimes be a, a five, two, um, which we saw from, from Houston's defense with Romeo Cornell. And then Mike Vrabel running things down there. Uh, if you put five men up on the line, it makes the offensive line kind of declare one-on-ones and, uh, you know, if you can get Jarrell Casey in a one-on-one like that or Brian Arakpo, it's a big advantage. But obviously, the job responsibilities of Arakpo and Morgan and Eric Walden or Kevin Dodd are, are far different than the job responsibilities of Wesley Woodyard and uh Avery Williamson, if he's back, he's a free agent to be, and Jayon Brown. And so Tyrone McKenzie will be working with those inside guys on, on you know, run defense and coverage responsibilities. And Bowen will be working with those outside guys primarily on pass rush, though they certainly occasionally drop into coverage and certainly have responsibilities uh, in slowing down the run. It seems like a smart specialization. The one thing that struck me, I remember uh, – you know, just several examples of how close Wesley Woodyard and Brian Arakpo were this year, and they were the two guys that, that pulled um, Marcus Mariota aside before the Jacksonville game and told them to to feel free to take it over, you know, if if the moment struck him. And we saw him do that during Jacksonville, the way he ran and with that stiff arm of very Church at the end. Well, part of the reason Woodyard and, and Arakpo had such a chance – Madison to become so close is because they spend all those hours together in the meeting room um, in addition to all that time in the locker room. And now, uh, you know, I don't think those groups will be together very often and the next generation of, uh, you know, Jayon Brown and whoever the, the new outside linebacker pass rusher that they draft may not wind up being close in the same way because they won't be in the room together that way. Now that's no reason to to decide how to divide that stuff up, but I do think uh, you know it'll be an interesting side effect to, to, to watch, and it'll be more like uh, you know it'll be more like an outside linebacker's friendship with a defensive back or a defensive lineman who are in the defensive meeting room together, but not uh, not every day together with their position coach.
1: Well, I love the aggressive mentality, Coach Peterson, and the Eagles took into Super Bowl Fifty Two. What are the big lessons, though, that you think the Titans can take from the Eagles and that Super Bowl win? Well,
0: that aggressive mindset is is number one, right? And it's a copycat league, so there's always kind of an echo of the bell that the Super Bowl winning team rings that uh, reverberates around the league, and uh, certainly in uh, Mike Vrabel and Matt Lafleur, a lot of us are looking for a more aggressive offense. That marries the uh, the pass game and the run game together better, and certainly John Robinson would say maximizes Marcus Mariota as much as possible, right? Because we hadn't seen that, and that's that's what wound up costing Mike Malarkey and Terry Rubisky and everybody else their jobs. Um, but outside of that aggression, there were two guys that I thought were were symbolic in this game. We talked about it a little bit on the on the midday one eighty, but I'll uh, I'll extend a bit beyond that. Nelson Aguilar, uh, the receiver, had a big game, and he didn't have a giant season, uh, but he kind of found his role in his third season. This is a guy that plenty of Eagles fans were uh, willing to give, aw- give up on. The 20th pick in the 2015 draft, the Eagles were a bad receiver team, uh, and this, this year they went out and they got Alshon Jeffrey and they got Tory Smith to kind of help Aguilar out, and uh, it, here he was kind of cast in the right role in his third year, uh, making big plays in a Super Bowl win. Um, and so I think the Titans fans in particular can learn a little bit about patience there. We've seen so many wide receivers not paying out, and the jury's far from out on Corey Davis, the fifth pick in the draft, and and Taewon Taylor, the the third rounder in the draft. But, you know, the patient plan didn't work out for guys like Justin Hunter, and they didn't spend too long trying to be patient with Al Green-Beckham. But Aguilar, to me, is a reminder that, uh, you know, waiting until the third year to judge some guys is is still the prudent way to go. And particularly at receiver, maybe for the Titans, uh, we're, we're going to have to see that. The other thing was Corey Clement the running back, uh, you know, who got a a bigger role on this team as an undrafted rookie free agent um, after there were injuries ahead of him. Um, But he's the kind of back that the Titans haven't found. We talk all the time about all these teams that don't spend a lot of draft capital on running backs and still find guys, and he's that kind of guy. Greg Cosell told us on the Midday 180 he thought he was definitely a draftable guy. Uh, He didn't wound up drafted had a little bit of trouble in his past, and I believe he's from the Philly area. But the uh, you know, the Titans had guys like Antonio Andrews, uh, you know, as their last undrafted back that stuck, who didn't have any of the the kind of dynamic game to him that Clement did. Um so, you know, I think Titans fans should hope that that John Robinson and and the Titans staff now could find a guy like that. It doesn't have to be at running back, but it's been a while since we've seen uh, too many. I mean, they found some. Curtis Riley's a safety that's that's made some contributions who wasn't drafted and stuff. But a guy who gets his hands on the ball, who you find that nobody else got got. Uh, Titans need pieces like that uh, in their on their roster. And uh, to me, Clement is kind of uh, the target guy. I'm envisioning. You know, he spent a second round pick on Bishop Sankey several years ago. Got absolutely nothing out of him. Spent a second round pick on Derrick Henry, who's who you know looks to be uh, at least a 50-50 back going into next year. You don't have to spend a ton of capital on running backs to get productive guys. And the Titans have to plug in to what a lot of the rest of the league has done in terms of finding at least role players at that position who don't cost a lot.
1: Well, it's it's early to tell, but I do like what Mike Frabel is doing in Nashville so far. But let's step away from the football talk for a second. And PK, I will let you decide if we should bring in this new segment called You Didn't Ask for Paul's Advice, but here it is anyway. Should we bring it in now or wait for the members only segment?
0: It's an excellent question. I think we should bring it in now, and then after it's a rousing success, next week we'll we'll tell you how you're missing out on it if you're only listening to the free segment of this. So uh, I think you got more than one. Bring it.
1: Right. So you can listen now, like you said, but members only next week. So you will want to sign up for PaulKaharski.com after you hear what I have for PK in this week's podcast. so This is
0: where we show off the major generational gap, at least to some degree, I, uh, I suspect.
1: <laughs> well, yes and no. I think that everyone is talking about this right now. The baby, the big baby that happened in the Jenner family. Kylie Jenner had a baby with rapper Travis Scott. And I brought this up to PK earlier. And he didn't really know anything about it. He didn't really know who they were. But I feel like everyone knows who the Kardashian family is, whether that's a good or a bad thing. They're a powerful family in America. But Kylie posted an Instagram revealing that she was indeed pregnant. It had been rumored for a few months. Posted an Instagram announcing that she had a baby. That Instagram... Quickly became the most liked Instagram photo of all time with more than 15 million likes, and she's still getting likes. She posted this about five days ago or so. She apologized to America for keeping them in the dark, like everyone wanted to know about her pregnancy. But I mean, these are two powerful people. Travis Scott has some great heads out right now. And then
0: all right, wrap this up. Get me to my Jenner,
1: Jenner was born into a wonderful, powerful family. So I'm setting up the scene. What are your thoughts on this? Please give it to us well,
0: all. First off, you can't make your life as uh, showing us everything and then hide your pregnancy and think that we're going to be sympathetic about <laughs> it, I think. So, you know, that's weird to me. I hate people who are famous for being famous. Uh, I imagine this rapper has some skill. I'll let you be the judge of that as Travis Scott's skill. Kylie Jenner, uh, I I believe to be famous for being named Jenner. Uh, So how old is she? She's 20?
1: She's 20 years old. All right.
0: Listen, I mean, I'm uh, the 49-year-old father of an 8-year-old kid. We probably waited too long, and we certainly had some reasons that contributed to that. But I am a big, big proponent. Here's my advice for Kylie Jenner that she didn't ask for. Get some life experience for yourself before you have a kid who's going to need the advantage of you having some life experience, particularly if you're living this uh, reality star life with no uh, basis in reality, if you will. I think generally, generally, and I'm not the uh, – though I think I'm the judge of all – I understand I'm not, but generally it's a bad idea to have a baby at 20. And uh, always it's a bad idea to name this baby Stormy, (laughs) S-T-O-R-M-I.
1: Well, she said she had always wanted to be a mom. So nonetheless, you have to be happy for her. She's
0: not running out of time. You know, if she waited five years to be a mom, that possibility would still be there for her.
1: No, I agree. I don't follow these families at all. But I thought it was an interesting thing to bring up to you. My next topic is how far is too far when it comes to celebrating a Super Bowl win. I mean, these these articles I'm reading about Eagles fans celebrating mm-hmm. is just crazy. One fan today was reported by twenty four seven sports that he went to the breaking three of his fingers so he could go to the doctor and get a note to show his boss to be able to make the parade.
0: Like who does Yeah, that? this is demented. This is demented. First off if you want to get a note and you need to miss something, first of all, the Super Bowl is played on Sunday. Uh, if you're working on Sunday and you wanted to break fingers, first off, I, I don't know where you come up with the three fingers. Like who, who's to say that one finger wouldn't have gotten you a note that would have gotten you out of work or two finger? You know, I would really slowly work up to three. Uh, I don't know that I'd put myself – in physical harm in order to be able to see, uh, my team, you know, if you're giving me the seventh game of the world series with the Yankees or the, or the U S in the knockout round of the world cup, <clears throat> maybe I'd consider some things for the parade though. I am so not a parade guy. And uh, look, it's just a big drunken festival. You you can create your own drunken festival anytime you like. Uh, if I'm the boss, I'd make that guy come in and work a double shift.
1: Well, what about getting a trick play tattooed on your arm? What about I, that? Dan I'm, Morgan, Eagles fan, got the Eagles trick play to Foles in the second quarter tattooed on his arm.
0: So do you get like the X's and O's of it? He like the, the,
1: Yeah, like the, the entire play on his forearm.
0: I'm anti-tattoo as it is. Uh, yeah, you know, if you have some huge family saying that you want to write small on your, on your ankle, uh, you know, have at it. But, uh, I, I just think tattoos for stuff like that are really stupid, though at least he's, I, I'll give him a little bit, at least he's immortalizing on his flesh something that actually happened as opposed to the guy, say, who had uh, Tennessee Titans 2017 right. AFC South champions. You can't have a predictive tattoo. That That is moronic. Uh, I'm all for uh, our freedoms in this country. But, uh, you know, I'd be okay with a tattoo artist who uh, told people no on stupid things like that, on, on predictive things.
1: Yeah, well, no tattoo artist is going to
0: say no. Yeah, you're branded for life, obviously, if you get a tattoo, literally branded for life. But you're branded for life as an idiot if you get a predictive tattoo that doesn't come true. You don't need to write guarantees in ink on your skin. Wait until something actually happens. And uh, I I know this is leading a lot of people to wonder about all of my tattoos. I have none. Not one. (laughs) No you can go ahead and offer up all your information on this, these I matters. have
1: zero tattoos I am not a tattoo Look at fan
0: you. excellent no. youth there's hope for youth in America
1: no tattoos I don't have anything significant to get though I agree with you on that
0: but, but someday when you have something significant to get you you'll you'll uh entertain the possibility maybe I'm not, Incorrect.
1: I'm not against them but I just don't think I could pull it off.
0: Be against him. I'll convince you. Consult with me before there are any tattoos.
1: All right. Well, there you have it. I know everyone is listening and dying to hear what PK has to give the members advice on next week. So when we come back for part two, available only to members of PaulKaharski.com, we'll head into the Hall of Fame Selection Committee meeting room. We'll look at Matt LaFleur's early decision of Marcus Mariota and consider Mariota's second NFL contract. So if you're a member, it's a good time to plug in. For just the price of a Starbucks coffee or a pint of good beer, you get all access to PK's content, including everything he writes, members-only Periscopes and Facebook Live broadcasts, minus all of his riffraff, and these delightful podcasts co-hosted by me. But if you're not a member, head to paulkaharski.com to sign up now. I do run a lot of the administration work for pk's website so i will get you hooked up and logged into all of the things i just mentioned members know how he voted on the hall of fame and i'm sure you guys would all like to know as well so if you are a member we will be back for part two in just a few seconds
0: the paul kuharski podcast is a joint production of paul and vocal for more information and more programming please visit VocalNow.com. that's vokalnow.com